Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode 54. Sig. That's German. Did you see that new Slick to Soleil logo they put out last week? I did. I didn't even notice it was different. It kind of looks like the same. I mean, I guess that's what they were going for. But I, if you had asked me which was which, I, I think I, I actually think I did pick the, the wrong, wrong one. one. Yeah, it's interesting. For those who haven't seen it, they sort of like made it like into a circle. Like they kept the sun idea, but they didn't. It's no longer like the flourishes below it are gone. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. The video is like we strive here at Cirque du Soleil to be blah 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 blah. For like a logo change. And then they reveal it and you're like, wait, what? That's it. You know, but it makes sense because when you're on Instagram, they have like your logo has to the be circle. circular. Yeah. So, they copied us. Yeah, they copied us. We have a circular <laughs> hideaway logo. Yes. I know they were. Bloomberg put out an interesting article about uh, Cirque du Soleil because they're opening up this NFL Times Square experience that we're going to go to next week. And mm-hmm. we'll let you know in the next episode what we thought of it. But the article talked about TPG, who are the people who now own Cirque du Soleil. And there were two pieces of information I thought our listeners would be interested in. Cool. I don't know them either, so. Here you go. The first is that apparently in the last year, their ticket sales, or rather their revenue per seat, has risen 20% thanks to new social media advertising. You believe that? No. There's no way. No. You don't think? Wait, so say it again. They said that. They said tickets are now easier to buy on mobile phones and prices fluctuate. All of this has helped revenue per available seat rise 20% this year. Well, their ticket prices probably have gone up. Yep. So in that sense, yeah, that's probably true. But is it be- they've gone up because of the higher demand? And also, like, is it actual earned revenue or is it potential revenue? Like, is the potential revenue that they get is higher for each seat or is it actually what they got for each seat is higher? Well, I think they're hoping we think that it's what they got. Later on in this article, they interview Alina Kavulia, who is an analyst at Moody's Investor Service. Moody's is that rating, credit rating agency that, mm. you know, rates stuff on Wall Street. And she said that Cirque du Soleil's credit is weakly positioned because of the large amount of debt taken on to complete its leveraged buyout. She thinks Cirque might not actually be doing that well, but that because they're expanding to this NFL experience and this theme park, they have a broader opportunity But she says, I don't know that it's less risk. So it's interesting that a credit rating agency is a little skeptical on Cirque du Soleil's position. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, I don't know, you know, like when you try to do too many things at once, you don't do any one thing very well. Yeah. But so I feel like they're doing a lot of stuff at once and maybe not doing any one thing really well. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see the NFL experience because that's really a departure from their yeah. thing. It'll be interesting to see if they can do that well. Right. I am hoping I can be like, I can pick like the Patriots and like go <laughs> through the experience as Tom Brady or yeah, something. Yeah, I'm excited to see what that is. I don't know. I mean, I think like just from my experience seeing shows while we're in New York, like they're not full. Yeah. And a lot of them were comped when we were there. And, you know, so that's why I, I think the potential for earned revenue on each seat is probably higher. But if the actual revenue that they're receiving is higher, I don't know. But it's interesting, right? Because Cirque du Soleil could be doing all these new experiences, but clearly they're in a lot of debt because they they basically 
took out the company that bought them took out loans. This is what we assume happened. They took out loans to buy the company, and you put against those loans with the bank, the company. So if you don't pay back the loans, the bank gets to keep CERC or assets of CERC. Right. It's pretty common for private equity to do this. But sir, this is also within the midst of CERC putting a ton of money into the Broadway show. Yeah. I mean, they got a good amount back from... So Harry Potter. From Harry Potter, but I don't know if that actually covered all of it. Yeah. And then they bought this theme park. You I don't know. know if they bought the theme park, but they're doing the or theme they're park. They're doing a theme park. It's interesting. Cirque is very good at making these deals where, like, they don't necessarily pay for all of it or pay for half of it. And yeah. their brand is heavily pushed. Yeah. I don't know. I think, like, they must not be doing too poorly. You know, they have a new logo. <laughs> yeah, they have a new logo. They have, you know, a new ice show. And, uh... Volta, which isn't that new anymore, but I mean, I'm sure they're not flailing. No. But, you know, it's like anyone. It's like everyone on Instagram. I'm doing amazing, and you're internally not. Yeah. It's just like the same thing. We're doing great. You know, maybe not so great. We're doing amazing on Instagram and in in real life. (laughs) Yeah. So another thing that we we saw this week was SpongeBob SquarePants, the Broadway musical. Yeah, I, I think... Oh, is that what the the full title is? The because they changed it from Chicago from SpongeBob, the musical or something to SpongeBob SquarePants, the Broadway musical. No, I don't know exactly, but I read about it because they were. It's interesting because Nickelodeon, Tina Lando, who directed it, wanted the title to be SpongeBob, just SpongeBob, not SquarePants. But then when they switched it from Chicago to Broadway, Nickelodeon really pushed for SpongeBob SquarePants. Hmm. I don't know why people would get confused, you know, if they didn't have the SquarePants, but they felt like they wanted to stick to that really well-known brand of SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, I listened to an interview with Kyle Jarrow, who's the writer, and he described it as Armageddon meets Our Town. Mm-hmm. When Lindsay and I saw it, it sort of reminded us of the Broadway musical Paper Bullets. You suggested Shrek when you saw it? I also, yeah, I thought it reminded me a lot of Shrek and um, Susical the musical. Mm. You know, Susical and Shrek both did not do well. Did not do well? They did not, they didn't do well. Yeah. They did not do well. To be upfront, I didn't watch too much SpongeBob when I was younger. Didn't really know all the inside jokes, which clearly there were a lot of, um, because the audience who were Clearly, SpongeBob fans were getting it. Um, it was kind of, it's, there's a lot happening on stage. It's hard to. Yeah, I mean, the New York Times called it sensory overload, which I don't think is inaccurate. My sort of takeaway after seeing it was that if you're a big SpongeBob fan, you love the TV show, you are a fan of the movies, then you're going to like the musical. Mm-hmm. If you're a Broadway person and you're going to see a Broadway musical, I don't know if you'll like it. I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But it's. It's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it, you know, following up on our discussion from last week about mm-hmm. SpongeBob versus Mean, mean Girls. Girls. It also is sort of an interesting indication of mm-hmm. the shows that are doing well are not the ones based on these large pre-existing right. properties. And like five years ago, you would I... I mean, except for, although Frozen, obviously Harry Potter is doing well, and that's like a really big franchise. Right, but... Looking more at more at the musicals yeah, yeah. and sort of Disney aside for a moment. I mean, Frozen yeah. hasn't opened yet, so we right. can't even say. And Disney's had flops in the past, so True. Frozen could be a flop. That five years ago, it seemed very hard to get a Broadway theater without being one of these big players, mm-hmm. being you know a big show backed by Viacom, backed by Disney, or backed by whomever. And uh, the discussion, we weren't doing a podcast back then, but the discussion would have been, where's the place for these small shows that are just musicals, original musicals created for the the sake of art or themselves? And now it looks like the pendulum might be swinging the opposite way. Right. Because when we started, I mean, really when we started Columbia, it was like, 
this wave of no more small original musicals. We're all going to like these source based materials that have big franchise names and that's going to be what gets audiences to go because it's easier for marketing. People have brand recognition, you know, they have love for it already, but now like they're coming out and people are like, well, it's not as good as the movie or like, it's not what I thought it would be. And Which now interesting, these, right? The Broadway audiences want to go see a Broadway show. Right? So not like a musicalized version of a movie that they like necessarily. Necessarily. I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule. So yeah. I'm sure there are good versions of it. But I mean, think Rocky, you know, that was another example of that. Yeah, or, no, I mean, I think we could, we could list a lot of shows that that are based on movies and they don't do well. Like Big Fish was a movie based musical really did terribly. You know, I think like it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens. But the shows that are doing well, I mean, Hamilton is not a movie musical, you know, no. it's a small musical. There's one set and like no costume changes the whole time, you know, and it's like really great. And the band's visit too, very little costume changes. No, there's no costume changes and very little set. But you ask yourself, like, what are the hit musicals right now? Like Dearborn Hansen, Hamilton, band's visit, maybe come from away. Yep. And all the shows. Again, original. Small. Yeah. Original. What's interesting about Spongebob is that there's a lot of description of it as an indie musical, but it's an odd combination because something like Jared Hansen, I feel like, is what an indie musical is. Yeah. It's pedestrian. It's about, like, people. It's not super glitzy. And Spongebob, I agree, it's, it started out as an as indie surrealist cartoon, but bringing that to Broadway, I could see right. the... It's also strange when they talk about Spongebob as being an indie musical and then simultaneously in the next sentence being like, it costs $20 million. Those two things seem like not um, cohesive ideas. Yeah, but you like Spongebob, go see Spongebob. You're not a fan of Spongebob, don't go see, don't go see Spongebob. <laughs> no. In other news, we uh, spent this past week working with Shannon and Phil, who do this fantastic duo serial act. You'll be able to see them in our upcoming virtual reality experience. But uh, they came to New York and asked for a hand turn in their very family-friendly act into a little bit more edgy for adult shows like Knee's Ooh La La or a place like The Box. And that was a really fun exercise to mm-hmm. do all week. You were in the studio with us today. They brought their super cute corgi. You can see <laughs> oh it on God. our Instagram. It's the cutest dog. I was cool because, you know, I think like you've been working with them all week and I saw a video of the first day and I just saw the beginning and then I wanted to not see it again until I saw it live because I want to experience it like a, you know, a viewer would experience it. And it's just so interesting when you just rearrange trick sequences and when they come and the flow of an act and how how much more enthralling something can be as an audience member you know just like putting one thing here versus here uh and i think picking a good song yeah good interstitial choreography and acting uh hopefully you guys will be able to see their act somewhere keep an eye out for them follow them on instagram uh shannon's handle is mcguire56 m-a-g-u-r-e-e-5-6 or you can follow their corgi which I can't remember her handle, but Super cute. you should follow her. <laughs> On this week's podcast, we are interviewing the evil hate monkey, a.k.a. Adam Crandall. Adam is a multi-award winning, super talented burlesque performer. You may know him from his previous duo act with Trixie Little. They were Trixie and Monkey. Now he's been doing more solo work. He recently was on tour with Briefs, which is an all-male cabaret that if you're a fan of the podcast, you've heard us talk about before. He's got a super interesting story. 
starting out doing acting in high school, listening to his journey, entering burlesque, learning some circus, touring around the world. If you have any interest in what that kind of world is like, particularly the burlesque world, what it means, how it relates to circus, then this episode is for you. If you like our podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, Twitter tweet us, or email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com. Here's our interview with Adam, or the evil hate monkey. Adam, where are you, where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? Uh, well, I was born in Baltimore, and then my family moved to Florida when I was in fifth grade. Um, but then I would go back to Baltimore for summer camp. So that's I've always had sort of Baltimore and Florida as home base. What kind of summer camp? Uh, it's your typical Americana. Uh, it was based on American heritage. It has like a Native American aspect to it. Um, and I continue to go to camp like every summer and so slip away. Yeah, it's a sleepaway camp. camp. Yeah, it's like two week sessions and I pretty much grew up there. I started going when I was like six and now there's uh I got married there and then we like I always had this idea of having like a burlesque summer camp because I always go to these these functions with burlesque and it's like burlesque hall of fame and some sort of competition wrapped around it. And I was like, I just wanna go. Yeah where it's just like fun. Like we can just like not have to wear makeup, not have to worry about like competing or whatnot. And so um, ended up creating uh, a burlesque summer camp and it was just like for friends because after the wedding we were like, this was so much fun, we should do it again, but without like the family. Um, not that, not, I mean, the family's great, but it was definitely like a mix of worlds that right. all came together that 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 weekend wedding. And then, um, so finally got that dream of having this thing happen, but then the very first year it happened was the first year I was on with briefs. So, oh, in, so you didn't even get to go? No, this was the first year that I went, and this was the fifth year that it happened, and it was the first first What's time. What's the camp called? The, the, so we call it Camp Titicaca <laughs> or Camp Love Love. It, it has a couple different names, uh, but yeah, it's just a fun group of people. Uh, yeah. So were you into performing as a kid? Did you do like the high school plays and musicals? Well, so I uh, moved to Florida and then I was into sports and that kind of stuff. And then my brother saw an ad for a, um, a children's theater with this guy, Elliot Talbenslag, who was like a New Yorker who like summer or winter bird. What is that what they call yeah, it? Uh, like the yeah. Winter, yeah. Uh, and had done a lot of children's theater in New York. And like he had an, a post for needing kids to to do children's theater and so my brother went and I I went with my brother and my dad I just like went to a company and I was I think I was probably in seventh grade seventh or eighth grade and um Elliot was like saw me sitting there and he's like are you gonna audition and I was like I'm just just kind of like chilling out and he's like no no get on stage and he made me sing happy birthday which actually <laughs> is not the easiest song oddly enough no, it's, just, really it's not. not a great song to sing but he really just needed bodies, and so he like <laughs> took me and uh, took my brother. He, pretty much anyone that walked through the door, he <laughs> he hired. But that was like the first time, and we had like rehearsals, and he had a couple uh, adult actors, and then mostly kids. And we were doing like Little Mermaid was like the first one. We did Peter Pan, Aladdin, like a lot of those Disney right. um, type shows. And but like we were doing them at the Cinnamon Draft House in in West Palm Beach, and and then. Again, my brother, that there was a, a um, performing arts high school in in Florida called School of the Arts, 
And he auditioned for that and he didn't get in. And it was like, oh, I was really sad. And then I ended up auditioning for the ninth grade um, and I got in. And then that's. Was your brother pissed about I was going to ask. Uh, you know, his life went in a different direction. Like he was doing a lot of musical theater and uh uh, show choir at his school, so he was pretty content, and he was he was also wrestling and mm. swimming and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so I got into school of the arts, and that really shifted my my life towards more of a performance. Like the school didn't have, I think we had a soccer team. I think that was like the <laughs> most we had sports wise, and so I wasn't doing wasn't playing baseball or soccer or any of that stuff anymore. It was just like full on, and the school was amazing. It was like very much that fame sort of thing and it was a uh, fairly new school so like when I joined the school in 94 um that was the first the, the way they started was they started with a seventh eighth and ninth grade and then each year they that like class would move up and they would add one at the bottom and so I was the first year that they had a graduating class mm. so it was a very like new school we we had been thrown in this old campus that was like from the 60s and so like the arts were just like all just like flowing everywhere because they didn't really have a, a good like like system of, it was just like well we can put band in this room and we can have <laughs> arts over here and so it would all just like intertwined and everything and then yeah and it was you know it was it became where it was just like were your parents um, supportive of you like, going down this arts path and going to Totally. Arts? Like, my dad's always been, like, a pretty out-there entertainer, just, like, the jokester type of guy. So I think he was always liking, watching, and yeah. living vicariously through my brother and I. Um, so were you focused, when you were in high school, were you really focused on, like, theater? It was music? theater and musical theater. Um but like I was also just a, I was just a, a stoner kid too, where yeah. I was like, I would much rather be out in the lawn, like playing hacky sack or trying to fly a kite. Like that was the kind of stuff. And yeah. And to like this day, I still travel like, with a kite. Like, oh, like oh, but you to this day, sack. I still travel with a hacky sack. <laughs> no, not oh, a hacky sack. I'm taking it around backstage. <laughs> Actually, I travel, I do travel with, with a kite a lot of times. I've, I've found, I'll, we'll get into that later. Um, Wait, what was your like big role in high school? Well, I didn't actually... <laughs> uh, in ninth grade, we did uh, Pippin, which I was really excited oh, about. Pippin, yeah, life and time. Yeah. Um, what were you? I was the understudy. Oh. <laughs> um, but then at the end, the the grand finale, when they're trying to get him to to do the grand finale, um, I was the one who we we made this gla glass or plexiglass box, and I was like behind it, and there was we had the the science teacher, uh, I forget his name, but filled these balloons with hydrogen or whatever and then like they they like lit them and so it was just a big fireball and I'm the person like who's behind it and everyone's like isn't that scary I was like I'm actually the safest person because I'm protected and there could be shards of like hot uh, balloon balloons flying at you guys and yeah so that that wasn't like my big role but no we did um yeah our school we, we did hair one year um which was pretty pretty out there for a high school to do instead of like passing a a, a joint we passed a a, a, a flower you know, oh. sniff the flower and got mm. stoned um <laughs> yeah so it, i did did all that high school stuff it was great and then a lot of um everyone was really into you know applying for all these prestigious schools and i was like oh shit i guess i should audition and apply to a school and Got into Philly, U Arts, where they um, 
they gave me a scholarship and I was like, great, I got a scholarship. And I went there and it was very quickly that I kind of figured out, I was like, oh, they're just giving everyone a scholarship and they're just raising the the tuition price to pay for it and just giving. And it, it was definitely, they were in a, in a time of flux, I felt like, where they were expanding their programming across the board. And so they were just taking a ton of people to pay for it. And the first year I just sat there in like my theater acting class. I was like, it was all stuff that I had like been taught like in 11th grade. Like I I was like, my base was so much further along and they were also very much like Broadway, cha-cha. And I was just like, this is not what I want to do. I was like, this is not what like my training. And, and then like my friend from high school, um, he was doing really well here in New York and I was like, he was at circle in the square and then like got into shows. And I was like, I, I just want to get out of this like school. And then my roommate, he had dropped out. And then, then I had a friend who from high school who was like, Hey man, I'm hiking the Appalachian trail. And I was like, great. I was like, told my parents that I was going to drop out of school <laughs> and hike the trail. And they were like, well, give it at least another semester. And I was like, okay. So I did another semester and I left after, so I did two and a half years of, of college and then started hiking the trail and it was on the trail for like three months and... Was it like that movie with Reese Witherspoon where like you know, her feet get like terrible sores yeah, and she loses 30 pounds? She was out there on her own though. I'm actually wearing the actual boots that I hiked the trail oh, wow. in 2000. Oh, nice. They're still they in good very shape. Worn down. I know. These are 17 years old. It's wow. crazy. Um, yeah, it... The trail was such a eye-opening, magical experience, and that really sort of set the tone for a lot of, like, figuring out my path, like, where it is a wanderlust, looking for new adventure, and, and that was the beginning of, like, a big adventure, and then met a girl on the trail who was was going to be settled down in this little town of Damascus, Virginia, and because she had met this man, Mountain Man, who... Um, the year before because she was biking across country with her sister and so which she did she completed biking bicycling across the country and met her and like she was supposed to be working for this guy mountain man and i was in town and i was doing some work for mountain man and then we met and then his name is mountain man well on the trail everyone has um different names like you go by you're not your so you're not Adam. No, I, I was Broadway, <laughs> um, which Lone Wolf gave me that name, which was a he was a hobo hiker. Um, there's the hobo hikers are just these guys who just they're usually like Navy SEALs and stuff like that, like Vietnam vets and whatnot. And they just live on the trail in the summer and they just sort of like hike around. They jump like we'll get a ride. and But it's just easier living. They just enjoy mm. just being just out. Give well, everyone just sort of gets a name. Like you can give yourself a name, but usually the name is given to you. And oddly enough, you you remember more people's names yeah. because of it, because their name fits them. them. Yeah. You know, like mine was given like I was like stoking the fire and had been telling them where I'd come from and like theater and this and that. And like I did something and Lone Wolf like just turned and looked and he's like, fucking a Broadway. <laughs> and it was just like Broadway. There it is. It's just like done. Stuck. Yeah. And like my my friend that I was hiking with, like he was studying to be a school teacher, and his name is Chalkboard, mm. you know. So it was really interesting, and the the trail was an, a magical thing. It was like three months on the trail, maybe hiking for two of it. Like like a lot of it was like pit stops. Like yeah, just a wild, weird, weird time. <laughs> Finding yourself though. Yeah, and met the girl, and then got off the trail. We we ended up driving 
helping my brother move out to LA and then then she ended up working at camp because I continued to work at camp until I was in my 20s. So the girl you met you started dating. Yeah we started dating. What was her what was her like pseudonym or whatever? Well she wasn't a hiker her oh. name she was she had I, I, I've been biking the year before oh, the biking, and right, yeah, the, biking girl. the biking girl yeah mm-hmm. Megan and um yeah, because she was supposed to work at Mountain Man's for the summer, and he didn't have his crap together at all at, at this restaurant that he was putting together. Um, yeah, so we met her, and that's where like the traveling really started. And then we ended up, I ended up going. Where was it? So after we worked at summer camp, and then I was out of college, didn't know what I was going to do. And she was she was going to school in Iowa, so I was like, well, I'll just go and live with you for a little bit. And then we were like formulated this plan that we were going to go and travel in Europe. So I just, we just worked our asses off for like a semester. Like I, I did concrete foundations in Iowa during the winter and like froze my tits off. It was so, so cold. Um, but it was one of those jobs where I was like, I know I'm going to leave this. So I'm just gave it my all. It's kind of like my, my philosophy anyway. And it was great. And like by the end they were like, are you sure you want to go? You're really good at this. And I'm like, (laughs) I am not sticking around to do this. No way. I'm like, I'm out. And then Megan and I went to Europe for two months. We cycled around Ireland for a month. Did you see any shows while you were there? Anything that's like artistically inspiring or just? We just went to a lot of uh, museums, really. Like we did a month with a bus ticket tour thing, which I wouldn't recommend. Uh, I don't know if they still do it, but it was like Euro pass. Like I would do the train thing, but the bus thing was... It was like we bought this month-long bus thing, but you could only travel from country to country. You couldn't inner travel. Oh, so yeah. if like you wanted like a couple places in France, you would have to like go to Italy first and then come oh, and back then to back? the other. Yeah. So it was like a lot of like bus. It's like, uh, and then, um, but then we we rounded it out with with cycling for a month. And we did we started in Cork and went up the west coast of Ireland and then oh, wow. over to Belfast and then into to uh, Scotland. Yeah. So when did you first see burlesque? Like when does that enter your so life? So then, all right. So then I did all that traveling with with Megan, and she was like, she was like, I'm gonna go back to school, and I was like, I think I'm gonna move to back. Iowa. She yeah, she was like, she wanted to go back to school. She had taken like the semester off, and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I was like, I feel like I want to go and move back to Maryland, move back to Baltimore. And I had a, a friend there, and we had been talking and. You know, he he was like a, a song musician and whatnot, and it was like, all right, I'll, I'll move there. And Megan and I just sort of realized that it was like our time together was was coming to an end, and it was fine. It was mutual, and so I moved back to Baltimore and met Trixie, and we started dating. We were, I was working at a nonprofit, uh, living classrooms, and she was working there, working with inner city kids. Um, not performing, really doing anything, but she had started this big performance group called Fluid Movement, which is a um, still going strong now, like, I don't know, 15 years in, maybe more. Um, but it was community-based um, water ballets, and that's mm-hmm. where it started. She really wanted to see, like, these big community-based productions. And then they started doing roller skating shows as well, and they they brought me into the show, this roller skating show. It was uh, Nessie on Wheels. It was like a sort of, um, what's Mulder and Scully? Uh, X It was like an X-Files meets the Loch Ness Monster <laughs> on say, roller skates. Like, yeah, monster. yeah. Um, Were you the monster? No, I was, I was the detective, <laughs> the Mulder. Is that how you say his name? Mulder, right? 
Yeah, I, I, remember, I never watched the X-Files. Yeah, I never watched it. I probably would like it. Um, yeah, and we were dating and whatnot, but then she wanted, she had... How she old are you at this point? 22, I guess. Oh, wow, so you met when you were really young. Yeah, because I was, I'd gotten off the trail, was, I turned 21 on the trail, and then, and then in 2000, it was right after 9-11 that I moved to, back to Baltimore. And then, um, yeah, so she, she had been researching and getting into, like, coming up to New York and seeing, like, like Miss Astrid at, at, at Fez and um, shows like that. And, like, she was interested in burlesque. And then it was the beginning of that movement, the whole, like, neo-burlesque movement. And she, on her merit of fluid fl- movement, she had gotten into uh, Teaserama out in San Francisco. And she was supposed to do an act with one of her friends. And her friend backed out, like, about a month before... And she she called me, and at the time I was like helping my parents build a house in North Carolina. And she's like, she's like, hey, we're gonna do this thing. Um, it's you're gonna be the evil hate monkey. I'm gonna be Trixie Little. She had already called me monkey anyway, and people at work called her Trixie just because she was like petite and sprightly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and why do people call you monkey? Well, she calls me she called me monkey because I'm hairy and <laughs> I like to climb things uh-huh, and whatnot. Okay. Um, and at the time, it was Trixie Little and the evil tap dancing hate monkey. That was the <laughs> official because I had a little bit of tap from high school and college and horrific name. Uh, <laughs> That's a long. Yeah, don't do that. And the evil tap <laughs> dancing hate monkey. Yeah, well, <laughs> MC's definitely got it wrong. Like Scotty the Blue Bunny and Murray Hill, like. Like when we started coming to like New York Burlesque Festival, like that's when I realized because they, they, I think Scotty called me like the evil tape boy hate monkey guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, all right. Note to self. Shorten. Shorten. I mean, even now it's just pretty much just monkey because it's not even that, that hateful these days. Um, yeah. So she just kind of was like, hey, we're going to do this thing. And I was like, Great. Yeah, sure. That's fine. I was like, what's burlesque? Like, I didn't even, I really didn't know anything about it. But that was like the intro to the world of it. And we went out there, like Dita Von Teese was in the show. Oh, wow. It was like, early, yeah, it was. And it was still in the, that time where like you, we didn't even send like a video, you know, it was just like. Just coming just, just come. Yeah, just like, right. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> what did you guys do? What was like, your first thing you did? Um, well, we we approached it with a more theatrical based through line and so there was that idea that it was like Trixie and Monkey this um comic book sort of uh characters where it was like love or love and hate you know mm-hmm. and so yeah so like I think the first one was like like I was banana farming and uh and um like taking like I'm um, I don't know like something to all the men in the world and like her tagline was that she could spank love into the world one bare bottom at a time and so (laughs) there was that like she had to come in and and defeat the monkey and then spank me spank the monkey and and make love happen all over again (laughs) so that was like sort of the beginning and we we had written like a like a full length like 45 minute show or whatever when we first like that's what how we first jumped into burlesque was not just like creating an act we created a A whole a whole show with like a script and like some friends and um so we were doing that for a while in the beginning like we kept like writing these like long shows and and always trying to rope in friends to do it who it was fun for them 
and then, but it was also a lot of time, it was very time consuming and we were realizing that we were really enjoying it. Um, and so we, that's when we sort of break, broke off and started doing more just like solo stuff. Um, and then together, well, well, yeah, I mean, solo, yes, duo work without, without other people. Yes. Pieces that are acts. Yes. Yeah. Vignettes. Yeah. Uh, opposed to a long Mm -hmm. storyline show. Um, you and doing it mainly in still in California, or Baltimore, New Baltimore. York. Or you Baltimore, came back yeah. to Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, California. The thing in San Francisco was just like a weekender event. But that was like your first. That was my and first. Then you came back to Baltimore. I think we might have done the Baltimore. I think we might have done the full length show in Baltimore first to get ready for it, uh-huh. and then we took like a, a snippet from it, like a five mm-hmm. minute section of that. Mm-hmm. Is there a good scene in Baltimore for burlesque, um, or just for performance in general? Baltimore is a great, great place. Like I haven't been there in a while i mean i just did a show there recently but but to actually live there and know what's going on um but there is a really uh cultivating art scene and and they're really because it's scrappy like you can kind of do whatever you want Mm -hmm. and people will come out and support it and they're not like really pretentious about Mm -hmm. it and creating new stuff um i think when trixie and i started like we we were kind of like the first like wave of the new burlesque even though baltimore is stoked with like burlesque history like there's the block which is a a one block which is just strip clubs across the street from each other like the whole block and then you have the police department right next door like the main police department but you've got like uh the two o'clock club which was like blaze star owned so it's like there's so much rich history there Mm. but it's now just would you describe CD what the neo burlesque movement is to somebody who's not familiar with it? Um, oh, sure, I could try to. Uh, the, I mean, I I want to say it started in like the late '90s, early 2000s, and it was just people doing burlesque, but how they wanted to do it. You know, uh, not necessarily having to stick to the the regular idea of just a fan dance you know or a boa or you know like because burlesque has and i'm not a historian so i don't want to really be quoted on it but like it changed a lot through history and a lot of it changed because of porn you know because like in a sense like burlesque was a it was a um it was your porn before porn happened you know and then and that's what's like sort of changed it so it's sort of like fell off for a while like um it was still sort of happening there still was burlesque happening but not the way it was like in the 50s you know um when people could start getting full nude and whatnot um and so then the revival was really like bringing it back to an art form and and making it about uh, the art of taking your clothes off. Like that's mm-hmm. the difference. I think burlesque from like stripping at a strip club. Yeah. There's, there's some sort of thought line or through line, not that it always has to, um, but that happens. And then there's, um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, like you, you could have it in a, in a, um, you can add comedy into it. Like you don't really see a lot of comedy at a strip club, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, you know, there's, there's duos, there's groups there. Yeah. Burlesque. The thing about burlesque is that anyone can do it. Um, but I think, and this is a greater, a, a deeper conversation. I think that also has diluted it a lot. Um, the fact that anyone can do it. Mm. Um, 
And that's the difference that I'm seeing right now, wherein, especially coming from like a, uh, from the burlesque world, moving into like a circus world, and then sort of coming back to a burlesque world and like comparing the two and seeing a difference. And for me, there's something really tangible about circus where you can you can view circus and you could say that person can juggle yes. that person can do trapeze there's something you can actually judge someone on not necessarily not that that makes them a good performer right no because um, it just changes your interaction with yeah it. there's there's something there's something that you can look at and actually say where burlesque it it's it's a lot harder to find to it's like a, it's about like the performer like it's they more have like to, acting in that way yeah they've got I, you know and i think a lot of people like they take some classes or whatnot or they they start from a, a costume background and they make this amazing costume but are just shit performers and yeah. it's like a costume does not mm-hmm. make you a good performer yeah no. um well we were kind of talking about this because you know we saw the boylesque festival yep. in new york mm-hmm. and like our real in I mean, my, uh, for sure, my real introduction, not Josh's, but to, like, this whole boy or whatever scene was really seeing Club Reefs right. in Australia, which was, like, insanely amazing. Right. And that's, like, the level, the level that you I start had at. in my head. Yeah. And then we go to this, and I was like, hmm, uh... This is not. This is not what I thought. Also, much more circus and tangible skill in briefs than there was at the the Boylesque Festival, yes. which I think helps with the long form. Yeah, seeing seven or eight acts when right. we have some circus done in there. I mean, even like the night that you were in, where it was like, you know, so many acts, and then you know you come on and it's like, oh, okay, like this is this is what as the finale, as the yeah. finale, <laughs> you know, and no wonder they put you there. But I I see what you're saying totally. But yeah. I think so. We met originally at the box, yeah. probably like in 2009, and I always thought that one of the things that made, and <clears throat> I hope you like the categorization, but putting you and Trixie and Rose and a few other people, Narcissister for some of her acts, yeah. in this special category was the the theatrical element and the storytelling element and the specific character element. In yeah. It. And I think it's moved more into circus as well. I think some circus acts are adopting it, but... I was always just super impressed, and the one that really comes to mind that left me that initial impression was your Total Eclipse of the Heart of course. act. Of course, yeah. Um, where it's just so built in with clear characters, clear narrative is happening, it's tied into the music, there's circus tricks yeah. in it that have that have that punctuation. I'm wondering if you can also talk a little bit about like how you craft these acts and what the process of thinking about it is and, and the role of costume and the role of music. Right. And- well, Total Eclipse um, was... Will you just grab that because I actually don't know which one. So Total Eclipse is the Bonnie Tyler. We Trixie and I used to do an act to Total Eclipse, uh, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse. Which uh, I can actually sing in German. Can you? Manchmal in der Nacht schwicht die Unwiderstehung. I can sing the whole thing in German. That's amazing. Ah, bitter. Is that good? I don't even know. Um, so we we were. Uh, Trixie and I had been taking some classes and we went to a, a performance uh, conference and that happened to be in Baltimore called uh, Minifest, which stemmed from Motion Fest. This guy, Mike Rossman, who's a great performer in Baltimore, does a lot of like the Ren Fairs and stuff like that. Um, he and some other people had this thing, Motion Fest, which like Hillary uh, Chaplin, is oh, that yeah. how you say it? Like she was a teacher there. There was a lot of like, like real circus, circusy uh, people, f- folk, and we we're coming at it from like a burlesque world, and like we 
came there and they were like, what is this? And they, they were really enjoying it. And so that's like, it was interesting to be in that world together. And we were into like the acrobatic <laughs> stuff. Um, but with Total Eclipse, it was Trixie really loved that song. And we would just like listen to it like constantly. And like, we were like painting the house and we we're like listening to Total Eclipse. And we we're like, we're going to do something to this. And then we went to Minifest, which was like, th- it was like a three day little uh, retreat conference. And they had a, um, every night at Motion Fest or Minifest at the time, they, they had uh, critiques at night where you had 15 minutes to put present something. And you could use all of your 15 minutes, you could use two minutes, it doesn't matter, but you have 15 minutes and everyone just watches and they write down notes on a note card and then they turn in the note cards and then with the remaining left amount of time, they just read off the note cards and you're not allowed to respond at all. You just sit and listen, which we thought was brilliant because so many times people take criticism and have to be like, well, what I was trying to do was this. And it was like, just, this is what we watched. This is what we witnessed. So just take it. Yeah. Um, And we've used that format um, in like when taking it to like BurleyCon, like which is a a burlesque convention, like using that for act development where it was just like, just throw something up on stage. It doesn't matter. And so we took that moment and we were like in our hotel room and we're like, okay, listening to Total Clips, we're like, okay, we'll do this here and then we'll do that. All right. And this will punctuate there. And then we'll start with the flashlights. And we just threw it up for five minutes. And they were like, this is amazing. This is great. And like, that was really what it took for that act to happen. But Mm. we've been sitting on the song for months, you know, listening to it. So it like was in us Mm -hmm. and knew how to like flow with it, like and where it needed to go. And like we knew that we were going to be doing like some acrobatic stuff to be taking off the clothes. And like you take classes at NECA. Yep, we went yeah. to school. We we did their nine month uh, protract. protract. Yeah, we were the f- yeah we were the, f- yeah, we, were the f- we were the first nine yeah the first nine month protract. Was anybody else in your class like Kevin Beverly or they Kevin Mr. Gorgeous? They were all the year after us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had I don't know if there's any people that what you was would that know. like doing circus like a circus protract in front of this world of like theater and, well, and it was gr- well it was we had we at at that moment in our careers like. Our burlesque career was doing fairly well. Like we were, were getting. Were you still in Baltimore at this time, or? Yes, we were living in Baltimore. I think we had already won a duo at Burlesque Hall of Fame in Vegas, and so we were getting asked to go to different countries and different festivals. Because at this point, you know, like from the time that we had started, now like six years into it or whatever, maybe ne- like there's a lot of these burlesque festivals cropping up everywhere. And what did so- you guys do at the Hall of Fame? The year we won? Yeah. Uh, the year we won, we did an act which was like a um, like a detective sort of like monkey was running around doing bad things. And st- I think it was like stealing socks or I don't know. But like <laughs> but then Detective Trixie, it was a very like film noir uh, thing. And she comes in and beats me, defeats me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, the, this backtrack for a second, how we sort of got into acrobatics that's that's a funny we started doing um when we were dating we were doing swing dancing as like like a a fun monday night like (laughs) thing to do and neither of us were really good at the actual dancing um (laughs) but but, some good acrobatic tricks right and we were enjoying the acrobatic tricks and um by this point trixie had already taken a couple classes with elsie and serenity Mm -hmm. and knew about like uh, NECA and the farm and at that time they yeah they were 
what were they even operating out of? Like no we warehouse. took classes. The, the top we, floor of that warehouse building? That, the cotton mill. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we were taking classes in the barn on the property that they were like living at. They had oh, like, wow. yeah. So we'd, we'd go up there, we'd work with Bill and he would teach us some like acro stuff. And we would literally like, whatever we learned, we would put it into an act. Like that's how we, we were like, oh, you know. And so in the beginning, like acts were coming out pretty quick because we were like, let's use this, let's use that. Um, and then when they offered, when NECA offered the, the ProTrack thing, we were like, okay. And we talked to them. We were like, we'd like to come and do it, but we think we could only do like three months. Or I think we said three months. Yeah. We were like, that's all we can really muster. And then within like a week or two of being up there, we are like, we've got to be here for the whole time. Like there's no, we're not going to get anything out of this if we, if we don't. So we like decided to do it and stay there. And like, we would literally drive from like Vermont to New York almost every weekend and do like Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the city working, usually working at like, uh, with like Angie Pontani and Murray Hill at like Corio. They had like a, a weekly thing there on Friday and Saturday. And then we'd run over to the box and the box would hire us for just the, just those three nights because they, because of total eclipse, like it was such a good closer. Um, it was funny because we were originally hired by the first person who was hiring people at the box. I don't even remember her name at the time. but So we came down and we were like, okay, we're in the show tonight. And we'd never been to the box, didn't know anything about it really. And we get there and they're like, okay, you can come down here and you can get dressed. And this was like during the afternoon. And we're like, they brought us down to like the women's bathroom, like the <laughs> sex bathroom, you know. And we're like looking around and we're like, we get changed here. I was like, what's going on? And I was like, I think we're auditioning. Oh. It's like, I don't think we're actually hired yet. I think we have to audition. And it was like, oh, we do. And like, did our act for Simon. And he was like, yep. He's like, this is great. He's like, let's put it in tonight. He's like, can you guys just get naked at the end? And I was like, ooh. And like, we'd never like been, been faced with that, you know, like. Because what, how did your act originally end? Uh, just in a G-string. Yeah. Pasties for her. Um me and a, like a furry thong or something like mm-hmm. that and we like looked at each other and we're like kind of like talked about it and we're like well it actually makes sense like it 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 it's not gratuitous like it leads to that mm-hmm. like in the progression of the act and it was like the finale is you guys ripping off your clothing and doing the dirty dancing yeah the dirty dancing lift yeah like, totally naked yeah cool. and with, like holding her up and turning <laughs> and like her sliding down and, oh i think i've seen this maybe like that moment yeah um and it made sense, and it was like, okay, and we did it, and then that just sort of, like, solidified a, a, our stake in the box for a long time, and then... That's such a good transition. Why... I, I've always been curious why there isn't real, more more real nudity in, in the burlesque scene. I think there... That the, I've seen, at least. Uh, it's, I think you... Is it what I'm seeing? Or I think it's it, what you're seeing. Like, yeah. over at the Slipper Room, there's a lot of nudity, I think. And sometimes I think it's gratuitous, and sometimes I think it, it's fine, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It, it, it just depends. And I think it also depends on, like, the time of night at the slipper yeah. room. You know, it's, like, the, f- the the actual flow, like, on a Friday night or something, if, like, if someone comes out and there's, like, full vag at, like, <laughs> 9.30 or 10 o'clock, it, it sets the wrong tone for the rest of the evening. And, right. you know, it has to have a bit of an arc. Even though it's still just a variety show, there still needs to be some sort of overall show flow. Pricing, yeah. yeah. Um, having said that, though, jumping around, when we saw Club Briefs, yeah. penis out, first number basically, after Fez intros. Louis. 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 Yeah, uh, Louis. Well, I think that is... Yeah. Which I think, but that's also the, setting the tone for right. what kind of night you're in for. And it was, yeah. it was like, the, the hardest start I've ever 
Well, I should. Is it the hardest it. start? Was it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I've never seen it that hard. I was like, no, the most like not aggressive in a bad way, but like it really was like, okay, here like here we go, like this is what we're gonna see, or like this is the show. Yeah. Um, but like again, the burlesque. I mean, I think we have to. I need to go to see some burlesque that you recommend. I would. I I, I always like starting at Slipper. Like that yeah. to me is still like the New York place because then it's it's. A it it at least gives it a, the proper like home and mm-hmm. and space for it, so it's not like in the back room of like a dingy bar with like some can lights. You right. know, there's 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 some thought process into it. It has a, a good. It's well designed. Yeah, it's designed. It's meant. It's it was designed with burlesque in mind. Like oh. when we built that place, we built it with those parameters you know like making sure there's ceiling height right. so ariel can be in there Wait, when you say we built it i was uh yeah on the build of the slipper room the you rebuild were. the first build the, the rebuild rebuild, the rebuild yeah. yeah so when it when the i forget what how many years ago it was now but um like six or seven years ago yeah. but yeah so they raised the building and then the new build it used to just be one floor mm-hmm. and then uh then slipper room uh had them I don't know what the whole deal was, but basically they have the second and third floor. Mm-hmm. And so it was designed with like, okay, this is all the dimensions. And then, yeah, like, I mean, things like I talked to James. I was like, when I was, I did like all the tile work in the place and uh, hung the, hung the curtain. I mean, like all kinds of stuff, you know? And at one point I was like, oh, we should have a heated floor in the dressing room because we're always barefoot and it right. gets cold. And he's like, yeah, go for it. So cool. it's like... No, that's a great space, the slipper room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the slipper is a good place to, I think, to go and see stuff. But to be honest, like I've been out of the scene right. for for a good, like almost four years. Let's talk about that. What took you... What? How did briefs come about? And would you also describe what briefs is a little bit? Sure. Um, so... Briefs is a collective. Well, it's a it's a company. Um, Briefs, and then the larger umbrella is uh, Briefs Factory, which then runs a couple different shows. Um, but Briefs, the show that I was in, uh, is is an all male burlesque vaudeville trash circus show, um, and with the fearless leader of Fez and Captain Kid Mark, um, those two are like the creative geniuses behind it. Uh, basically, they in 2012, I think it was, they were um, they ha- had they were doing Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and they they had just created their new show, um, The Second Coming, and they had done it in Brisbane, and they were about to go to to Edinburgh for a month, and then they had Ireland and uh, a, about a month run in London as well. And at the Wonderground. And basically, this guy dropped out like about, I don't know, a couple weeks before they were about to go. And they knew that I was going to be in England because I was going to be doing the box in, in England. And they called me. They were at the river in in Australia. And they were like, Monkey, are you available for three months, you know, to do Edinburgh Fringe? And, and I was like, looked at my calendar and I was like, well, I was going to miss the burlesque summer camp, which I was about to, and I was like, yeah, okay. And it looked at it and I was like, this is a great opportunity to, to be able to go to Edinburgh fringe festival with like, without that idea of like the struggle, like, like I definitely felt like I jumped a couple of rungs on a ladder Mm -hmm. where it was like, I was able to just be in a show 
that was being produced. I was getting paid. I had a place to stay. Like, all the stuff that you would dream about when you're going to Edinburgh Fringe. Um, taken care of. Yeah, taken care of. And I was like, this is a no-brainer. I'm going to do this. It's a good opportunity. I can. I had already met Mark and Fez. Like, I, I passed the crown to to uh, Mark in 2011. I won in 2010 in Vegas, and he won in 2011. That's when we first met. Um, and so... Yeah, so I like was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I can join. I I can rearrange some stuff, and so went and learned the choreography real quick, like on a weekend. Like they were in Cardiff, and I like jumped over from London, went to Cardiff, and like Monday and Tuesday learned like the fan dance, and like had a week to work on it. And they went to do a different festival in England, and then we all met in Edinburgh and like it was like bam just had to like jump right in but oddly enough like my role into it like really helped solidify the the show and everyone I didn't see the show before it but everyone sort of agrees that it like all of a sudden it felt like it all the pieces were actually there mm-hmm. um like my role was more of like that comedic clown character that was like the through point um so yeah just pop up here and there but also have a full act and um so, yeah, it was supposed to be for three months, and then it turned into, like, three and a half years, because, like, from Fringe Festival, like, things just sort of took off. Like, we got, a, like, a three-month gig in Hamburg over the Christmas time, and and then, you know, as soon as, like, the ball gets rolling, it just goes mm-hmm. out of control. And they already had solidified themselves in, definitely in the Australian market, Fringe, like, in Perth, Adelaide, mm-hmm. and so started doing that. And I was, like, tag-teaming, doing briefs, and Trixie and Monkey, like, our circus shows that we had been creating like these hour-long shows and whatnot so trying to tag team as much as possible for a while it's so, like i don't know if you want to talk about this but like when you have a partner mm-hmm. who basically the you know your characters are created together yeah and you go away to do a show yep how is that how, um well i it definitely i think was probably harder for her because she was the one left alone yeah um, and I was all of a sudden had an even larger pool of people to be working with. So mm. I, was, uh, I was fortunate for that. So, yeah, it was definitely difficult for her, um, I would think. Did you guys have to, like, basically kind of, I mean, not reinvent, but kind of rediscover, like, what the, like, purpose or motivation of your characters were without the other? Um, or your, like, persona? Uh, I don't necessarily think I thought about it all that much. I think it it, it might have just naturally um, happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I've become less uh, evil. Mm-hmm. It's it's like this lovable. The characters become less yeah. Evil. <laughs> yes, the character, the evil hate monkey is. I mean, it's more like it's more like the mischievous monkey or something. Yeah. You know, like throwing the bananas. Most evil and, thing. Oh my god, I got a banana peel in my face. I know yay. you throw bananas. <laughs> I was like, I'm watching you. And then for one second, I, like, stopped being on guard, and then banana peel right yeah. in my face. <laughs> I threw on once at Slipper Room, and I'm just, like, wildly gesticulating, throwing them, and I hit the soundboard, and it cut my music off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I did that to myself. That was you. <laughs> yeah, that was my fault. So, but you didn't do the most recent, you didn't do the most recent brief show. You came back to New York. Yes. So, about a year ago, I I had I had a conversation with Fez, and I was like, I, I feel like I need a break been like living out of a suitcase I put all my stuff into storage Trixie and I got divorced a whole lot of things happened in my life and it was just like I need I need a little bit of a break and breather I need to like step away from this and sort of reevaluate a little bit um I need a break 
And so they're like, okay, we, I think we can give you like, like six months or something. We'll figure something out. And also like Dallas Delaforce had already left the show, which was like the drag component. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, someone else is leaving and just all the factors of like different people leaving. I think it was evident to them that they needed to create a new show. Yeah. Um, and it was, and that's what happened. So they, they created the, the new show that they have now and close encounters. Close encounters. Yeah. I always want to say brief encounters. Brief encounters. (laughs) Yes. It's close encounters, uh, which is a brilliant show. Like I went and saw it in London. Um, so great so mm-hmm. great so proud of the guys like it's a it's a different show than our show uh it has some new members um i think harry is harry's in the show um harry clayton wright and mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's a more dance driven show mm-hmm. which i think is really cool that they and it's also has a lot more like political bite to mm-hmm. the show which i think also stems from um, the connection with Briefs Factory working with Hot Brown Honey and which is an amazing show that I don't know if you've talked about that or now. Um, have you guys seen Hot Brown Honey? No, no. what is that? Okay. Hot Brown Honey is the sister show to Briefs. Uh, but it's all women, right? It's all women, yeah. uh, women of color, and it's Linda's Yeah, Linda would. Yeah. yeah, so Briefs Factory produces it. So Linda produces it, um, and it's yeah, it's just a raw amazing woman power but political and great circus music beatbox like all the stuff and amazing set they have this like giant like beehive thing oh, that yeah, lights I was, up I and, was that. yeah it's so cool. it's gonna their thing is like like world pollination so <laughs> it i think i think they're gonna be in canada soon i think or maybe no they're in manchester i don't they'll definitely be touring through the U.S., I think, in the next year or two, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. such a great show. But you went up and doing briefs, but now you're doing still shows here. I mean, I love the title of your your all-animal uh, character show, Monkey's oh, Ass Menagerie. Monkey's Ass Menagerie. It's just the best, yeah, thanks. best show title. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I was That was just stemmed from knowing that Scotty the Blue Bunny was going to be in town for the uh, New York Burlesque Festival. And we, I feel like we had joked about it at one point, like, oh, we should have an all-animal show. And then I was thinking back to my theater years of the glass menagerie and then I was like oh the ass menagerie and all and, and then like looking around at like performers that I like a lot in in here in New York and I was like oh they've they've got an animal act they've got an animal I was like oh great we'll just do like a barnyard ballyhoo burlesque whatever um with Scotty hosting and he was like yeah let's do it so yeah I mean it was it was more of a conceptual idea that just sort of happened but and I think um it could have legs if we got it together again for sure yeah it was fun sweet so the first question that we ask all of our guests is has there been a piece of advice good or really bad that somebody has given you that stuck with you um there was my high school teacher high school teacher uh miss blanchette she used to always say make it bigger when we were doing acts or doing scenes and stuff like that and i was like which is really it's almost counterintuitive to a lot of like the theater training that you get like like you don't want to make it bigger because you know and it was like and I used to laugh about that and then like going into college it was like no but then getting into like the burlesque world and circuit like it all of a sudden sort of started to resonate and it was like oh I can make it bigger doesn't necessarily mean that's what you end up presenting on on stage but that concept of thinking big and making something bigger is a better place I think to like start from and then you can fine tune down like 
But if you are self-directing and censoring yourself from, like, the beginning of your creative process, then you're not going to really get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, oddly enough, like, the make it bigger works now in my life. Make it bigger! Yeah, it's, like, not something I really like, but yes. (laughs) But making it bigger is, it it can work if you think about it in the right way. Great. The second question is... For somebody who is maybe a student at ProTrack or just, you know, interested in getting into the burlesque scene or circus scene, is there a show or a movie or a book or any just reference material you suggest that they watch or read or take a look at? I think it's important to go and see shows, go and see as many different types of shows so you're not pigeonholing yourself into one category and then you can take things from it. Like, I don't think I actually have, like, a necessarily specific one um and i probably don't do it as much as i used to i think when i was like on the when i was at fringe festivals and stuff i would Mm. make it a point to try to go and see a bunch of things also because you could get into them for free so if you've got the past whatever but right but but at that point it was like why wouldn't you go and see as much as you can like you you shouldn't be laying in bed you know it's like i'm gonna go and see this and like i would just take a chance and be like oh that sounds interesting and just go and see that stuff and you know, traveling around with briefs in the that circus community, especially the Australian circus community, it's so tight, uh, and everyone's so lovely and knows everyone. You, you tend to like keep going with some of the same shows that you've seen, and it's like, all right, I've seen that. I want to yeah. go and see some other things. Um, so yeah, and then but in New York, I mean, it's still like going going to the box to see what that is, just to see what it is. Um, and going to the slipper room, going to Nurse Betty, you know, just go and see the stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Last question. Sure. Who do you think we should have on the podcast? Well, I think Olivia said this, but I agree with uh, Fez would be a, a great mm-hmm. person to chat yes. to. Um, he still the, has said one of, like, my most favorite lines I've ever heard in my life. The, like, jealous thing. Jealous. Yes. yes. I mean, he's a creative genius. I don't know how he operates on a day-to-day basis. It's it's he's the most loving giving uh making everyone feel welcome and still manages to smash out so much stuff in a day-to-day basis and with so many things going on and different moving pieces and parts it's like it'd be interesting to like get inside that brain and understand how it actually works because i think we'd all be better people if we could operate like that (laughs) yeah he's incredible yeah right um yeah uh have you have you spoken to hubby Oh, I've tried to get Hubby like three or four times, and just it's all about timing and timing. getting the right, we saw him right on moment of attention. Monday, um, at uh huh. Yeah. Well, Adam, Monkey, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, guys. And thank chatting you. With us. This was great. Yay! <laughs> Enjoy. And that was our interview with Adam. If you like our podcast, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, Twitter, tweet us. Or you can email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.